Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. We're back and hopefully better than ever. I have a fun show coming up today and hopefully getting a chance to recap some of the things that have been happening happening in the world of racing recently. And it's been a lot. There's a lot to catch up on. I'm also, as many of you know, trying to plan a wedding at the same time, which is like having another full-time job, uh, back commuting back and forth to Belmont Park. So life is crazy, but life is wonderful. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so I hope that you ha- are going to enjoy this show today. I appreciate you listening, and I hope that so far your start to fall has been wonderful. It is starting to feel nice and crisp outside. I'm just saying in a few more weeks, I'm going to be really ready to move my tack down to Florida, so to speak, as we're getting closer and closer to that time. We're also getting closer to the Breeders' Cup World Championships just a couple of weeks away. So we'll be doing a lot of preview into that and a lot of the fall sales taking place too. Um, Keeneland Fazek tipped in uh, Tattersalls over in Europe as well. So we'll be doing a little bit of a recap of all of that. But the Keeneland Fall Meet underway, and a lot going on at Belmont Park as well. So hope that you enjoyed today's show. Very happy to have you along for the ride. Thanks for listening to in the ring very happy to welcome in a special guest to owner michael dub who have we've seen is very recognizable silks in the winter circle and some very big wind this past weekend mike thanks so much for joining me today thanks for having me uh let's start with uh shantasara in the qe2 this past weekend what a tremendous performance from a filly that's really taken big steps forward in her last couple what was that feeling like seeing her win at keeneland like she did well um chad told us that she was sitting on a big race uh but as owners we hear that all the time <laughs> uh, i had no idea she was sitting on uh the type of race she was sitting on um it was breathtaking she pulled away. She did so really impressively, uh, won the Jockey Club Oaks prior to that. And she's a horse that started her career in Europe. And we've seen you claiming horses, buying horses, different types of acquisitions. Tell me a little bit about bringing a filly like her to the United States. Well, um, she doesn't have much, much pedigree. So um, she was affordable to us. Uh, you know, I buy these horses with Sal Kuman, this one with Bobby Lapenta also. And um, because she was affordable, you know, we, we felt like she had the ability and she would make her pedigree or could make her pedigree on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, you bring a few over, you really don't know which one is going to just adapt to American racing, American racing styles, American training styles, and it will take them to the next level. Uh, But fortunately, this is the one. Tell me a little bit about that process for you as an owner and being involved a little bit more with some horses coming from Europe, as I think we've certainly seen a lot more of that in the last few years with uh, those horses with the European bloodlines succeeding in American racing. Well, you know, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, in Europe, there really isn't any dirt racing. So everything is bred to run on the turf in America. Uh, you know, everything is more or less bred to run on the uh, dirt. Uh, we do have turf stallions and you could see in America, you'll see a beautiful horse by a turf stallion in America. And uh, that horse will, will 
get bypassed or not bring the kind of money that a similar horse is bred for dirt would bring. So, um, you know, Europe is a natural starting place and, and obviously uh, people have taken notice, the uh, sales, be it the uh, racing of ages sale in Europe or the um, yielding sale at uh, Tattersall's, people are, uh, you know, rushing over there and buying horses. That's where we found Aunt Pearl also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Aunt Pearl Breeders' Cup juvenile fillies winner uh, and that has to be exciting as it's two different scenarios where Aunt Pearl was purchased unproven where Shantasara had already had a few races over in Europe as an owner that has to be a bit of a risk too and buying a young horse to kind of make her career in the states like Aunt Pearl for instance well well because she was unraced and she was a yearling um, she you know you're, you're buying the pedigree to the best of your ability, mm-hmm. uh, your financial constraints will allow you to, but um, you, you can buy a little more pedigree when they're a yearling, when they're a proven runner in uh, Europe and they have pedigree. If you try to buy them, uh, the price can, uh, you know, really be high. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this horse, Shantasara, is out of an unraced dam, out of an unraced dam. So uh, we had to take the attitude of, we think there's upside and let her make her own pedigree on the track while hopefully picking up some nice checks along the way. You've certainly had success with dirt horses too. Of course, uh, the journey with one like Monomoy girl, uh, unfortunately retired this year, but what a journey, you know, to have kind of the, the horse of a lifetime like that and be part of that ride. Yeah. Um, I, you know, have to credit um, Liz Crow who, who bought the horse and, mm-hmm. um, you know, she again, sees things in animals that, uh, sometimes other people don't see in terms of their athleticism. Um, Monomoy Girl, we purchased for um, $100,000. And, uh, you know, we know what she went on to do. Um, but again, you know, we were sacrificing some pedigree there to mm-hmm. uh, for athleticism. And uh, fortunately, she made her own pedigree on the racetrack. You mentioned Liz, uh, who I was lucky enough to have on as a guest earlier this year, too, and does such a great job. And being able to to have somebody um, like a Liz, I know you use different agents as well. Tell me a little bit about that process and building a relationship with somebody uh, that really does kind of point things out at the sales that you may not always see. Well, you know, much like uh, selecting a horse, sometimes uh, you have to select people uh, who you see potential in, who you see, uh, you know, a thought process that you think is logical because when you buy uh, yearlings and uh, horses of racing age, it's really a a deep thought process and you have to look at uh, every situation from so many different sides. Uh, So we saw that in Liz and, so here you had uh, an unproven horse like Monomoy Girl by, at that time, an unproven agent like Liz. So uh, mm-hmm. there we really hit the daily double. Um, and, you know, she does, she does a phenomenal job, as do um, 
you know, some of the other people I surround myself with. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really what it comes down to in this game. You're trying to surround yourself with uh, uh, the right people. I can't say enough nice things about Sean Pearl, who's, mm -hmm. who's by my side no matter what I'm doing. Uh, and he, he too can shop for value and see athleticism. You also have had a lot of success in claiming horses too, which obviously is a much different thought process than, than going to the sales, um, but certainly some similarities as well. And tell me a little bit about that and uh, what you look for when you're, you're claiming horses to run in your silks. Well, um, you know, the, the key, uh, I think for me is diversity, meaning I'm very happy to buy um, yearlings uh, up to a, a, a certain price range, they're unproven. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy to buy uh, euros, uh, and I'm also very happy to buy um, three, you know, two-year-olds in training and, and mm -hmm. three-year-olds even after they've proven themselves. But when it, when it comes to claiming, um, it's a really uh, a challenging process. There, there are a couple of ways to come at it. Uh, some people come at claiming with, uh, can I win a race if I mm -hmm. claim this? Horse, is there a condition? Uh, can I win a race? Um, in I, I look at it like that on some of the horses, but on other horses, particularly the higher price claims, uh, I look at it what, and say, what will it take to get this horse to the next level? Um, mm -hmm. Would it be, you know, I'm claiming a horse at Saratoga that is an allowance horse in the summertime. But in the wintertime might be a steak horse in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, is it a horse that I believe the trainer is running at the wrong distance or perhaps overtraining? Is it a horse that physically there looks like something you can help? Maybe he looks underweight uh, or he, you know, maybe it's a shoeing situation. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you try and weigh the situations uh, to, to the case, but Really, in, in you know, when you claim horses, you know, most of them, some of them are good claims. Uh, they win a few races, they get reclaimed. Uh, some of them are bad claims. You have to drop them or they come mm -hmm. with problems. You can't race them. I've had plenty of those. But the <laughs> occasional one, uh, you really find um, something, you know, that somebody else was missing. I, I claimed a horse once that literally his teeth were so sharp he couldn't eat. He was skinny as could be. And once we fixed that horse's teeth, uh, that horse gained weight, felt better, you know, was a, a different type of horse and went on to do good things. So it's, it's all different situations. It has to be really rewarding to claiming a horse and knowing that you kind of saw something there and then seeing that horse go on to do well. I know um, you and, and many people claim horses, for instance, with the intention of running at Saratoga, for example. It, it has to be really rewarding to see that pay off. Well, you know, everybody likes to win at Saratoga. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to win at Saratoga. So, uh, you know, sometimes in the spring at Belmont, um, you know, I'll claim a horse that I think can just win a race at Saratoga. At Saratoga, I'll claim a horse that I'm hoping might, you know, uh, jump up a level and, and be a, a stake horse come 
the winter time in New York or perhaps out of town. Uh, but it is, it's a challenge and um, it, it takes an incredible amount of work uh, yeah. claiming horses, it really does. I think the, the guys who do it seriously, uh, I think it, people underestimate how much effort they put into uh, the background on it, whether it's reading the sheets or reading pedigrees um, and, and just how, because, you know, when you, when you claim in some ways you, you are buying a lottery ticket and it's an awful expensive lottery ticket. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. And there's so much that goes into it that the public maybe doesn't see either. Um, but do, do you remember uh, your first horse that you owned, whether it was a claim. And I don't know if I ever heard your story in depth when you first got into the business owning racehorses. Well, um, I, I've been a fan since I was a teenager and mm -hmm. uh, going to Saratoga since I was a teenager. Uh, and had always been a fan of the game. And I uh, met Jerry Bailey, the jockey, um, mm -hmm. socially uh, through tennis. And um, Jerry had told me about the need for daycare at Belmont. Yeah. And uh, I, of course, worked at that time with uh, the Thoroughbred Group. Um, and we, we identified a site and we built the Anna House. And it was only after Anna House that I thought, gee, it would be, and that was around 2001. It would be fun to own a horse. Maybe I'll claim a few because at that time I had now met some trainers and people on the backside. So um, the, the first uh, horse that I claimed was named Tasty Chardonnay. I claimed a horse from uh, Stanley Huff, who I uh, speak to and um, even occasionally take his advice on purchasing horses. Um, I claimed the horse for $60,000 and I, was over the moon when it won for $50,000 opening day at Saratoga 2002 with Jerry Bailey on him. And he closed 15 lengths in the stretch and Jerry pumped his fist like he had won the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> heard what was going on. But that was my, my first uh, go round. Oh, that's awesome. And, and things do come full circle. And it segues perfectly into my Next question, because you mentioned Anna House and um, obviously big moves this this past year with Faith House opening at Saratoga as well. And, and you do so much great work for providing a service to those on the backside and the true members of the racetrack community. Tell me a little bit about that, maybe for people that aren't familiar with what Anna House does and, and how important it really is to have. Well, um, I you know, I started out uh, in business as a landscape contractor and um, know what it is to get your hands dirty. Um, I, I work, you know, really hard for many years, many long hours with my hands. So I had a special uh, uh, connection to the backstretch people who did the same. And they're really phenomenal people. I mean, mm -hmm. these are the guys who do the heavy labor, the heavy lifting, put in the countless hours. And they do it usually with a smile and no fanfare. Uh, and they really deserve to be treated uh, as, as well as anybody on the backstretch, as well as anybody at the track can be treated, not just the high rollers. So, um, 
you know, I had become aware of that um, situation and uh, through Jerry Bailey in the early 2000s and wanted to help uh, because by that time I had gotten into building homes and construction and wanted to do something. And once I saw that I um, and, and saw the impact it was having on people, I was hooked. I wanted to do anything I could, uh, you know, for the betterment of the backstretch. So I think Shortly after that, uh, I met Nick Harris and I donated a couple of construction trailers for the chaplaincy and have worked closely with them and obviously uh, identified the um, housing for the backstretch workers, which needed uh, good upgrading and kind of made that um, a, a focal point in my work. Um, uh, once I was appointed to the Naira board, and continue to do that. So we've upgraded the housing and we've done that at Saratoga, we've done it at Belmont, but the missing link for me was uh, there was no daycare at mm -hmm. Saratoga and uh, I wanted to kind of complete the loop. And um, that's where, you know, building Faith's house, uh, which is named after my mother was always in the back of my mind. And it was just time to execute on it. And this was the first summer and uh, it was really very, very successful. And so wonderful. And uh, I, I can't commend you enough because I know we both know and every, anybody that's involved in horse racing that without the people on the backstretch, with, without the staff that work with these horses every day, there would be no horse racing. Trainers wouldn't be able to do their jobs. You know, owners wouldn't be able to have their horses looked after. And these are people that do take so much pride in it too. And I, I can imagine for you, obviously winning is wonderful and that's what we're all after, but I'd imagine for you being able to to give these people such a, a great experience and uh, something that's so needed, like the childcare, has to be one of the most rewarding things to be part of. Um, yeah, I mean, in all uh, honesty, it's it's great winning races. I've been blessed uh, to be around so many good horse people and have the opportunity to be involved with so many good horses. But uh, I wouldn't trade. Uh, the experience, the smiles on the kids' faces, mm -hmm. the pride the parents have, uh, uh, any of the any of the races, uh, they kind of come second to, you know, making it making a difference, and uh, that that's what I'm most proud of in in uh, horse racing. It's so wonderful to see too, and obviously you've had quite a bit of success in racing as well. Um, anything you're excited for, as in particular, I should say, as we do get closer to the Breeders' Cup, though. Well, I I guess the uh, the the variant of uh, Derby fever that uh, <laughs> uh, come this time of year is Breeders' Cup fever. Uh, so you know. Um, Looking forward to uh, the Breeders' Cup. Uh, I have a horse named Run Curtis Run for the uh, two-year-old turf sprint that Sean Pearl uh, selected for me. And obviously we have uh, Trib Havan and Rock Emperor for the uh, turf classic. Uh, I certainly will leave it up to, to Chad as to what he decides to do with uh, uh, Shanistera, but you know, there there are races. The fever is running rampant. As mm -hmm. far as I know, there is no vaccine against it. So we all get it. 
and uh, just, you know, looking forward to the Breeders' Cup. I certainly wish you the, the best of luck with it all. And Mike, thanks for taking the time today and giving a little bit of insight. Really enjoyed having you on. Absolutely. My pleasure, Acacia. Very pleased to welcome in Elliot Walden, president and CEO of Windstar Farm. Elliot, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the In the Ring podcast. You bet, Acacia. Happy to do it. Now, Elliot, we had uh, some news this week that uh, some incredible stallions in Distorted Humor and Congrats both pensioned from stud duty. And I thought it'd be nice to have you on and get a chance to speak about their legacies a little bit. And uh, I'm sure it's a bittersweet day for the farm, but also uh, I'm sure very special to look back on what both of these have accomplished during their time as stallions. Yeah, it has. I mean, uh, you know, distorted humor is is one of the most uh, prolific sires we've had in the last four decades. And, uh, you know, uh, he's his legacy will continue on in many ways uh, through his sons like McLean's music and also through his daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, he's just, he's just been an amazing horse for uh, Windstar for the breeders that bred to him for, you know, the, the, the real qualities and great things about him are that he, uh, gets horses that run at all levels. Uh, you know, a lot of sires, um, have really can have a really, really good horse, but a lot of their finger are slow, uh, distorted humors if they're not grade one horses, they're grade two horses. If they're not grade two horses, they're grade three horses. And right on down to, to the horse who wins allowance races for, for their own. You know, so they're just very consistent. They run at all distances. They try, um, stay sound. And, and um, you know, he's been an amazing, amazing horse for the farm. Really got the farm started. And I don't know where the farm would be today without it. How, how incredible is that to also see, as you mentioned, through his daughters, him being such an influential broodmare sire. That has to be even more special, too, to see the line like that continue on. It really is. And, uh, you know, he uh, he is a good broodmare sire, probably because he's, you know, by a son of uh, Mr. Prospector and mm -hmm. he's out of mare. And, uh, you know, that Danzig uh, out of being by, by a mare by Danzig just really hits home with a lot of, of the sire lines that, that we have in, in the industry. And, and I think that's, you know, he's, he's uh, been prolific with Fapiano line, like Arrogate, mm -hmm. a line like uh, Constitution and, uh, you know, among many others. You mentioned, mentioned Constitution, who's by tap it out of a distorted humor mare. To have him standing and then last year have had a horse like Tis the Law, is that special, extra special for the farm to kind of have one from that line continue on and be able to stand and have success at Windstar? It is. It is. It's neat to have, uh, um, you know, offspring of the, of the mares and, or the or the sires and and you get to learn their tendencies and traits and then you see it in their office so it is over the years were there certain traits and things that you really started to recognize in certain stallions are there some things that just seem to stand out or that you find yourself looking for immediately oh definitely i mean there's <laughs> physical 
traits and, you know, like distorted humor when he started, um, you know, they were, they were not well received at the marketplace. And I, you know, our, our, our industry today is so driven by the marketplace. It makes me concerned about whether the distorted humors are even going to have a chance, um, you know, in the future, because, He's not a real big horse. Uh, he was always a little slack on his pasterns. His hocks were bent and trailed behind him a little bit. Had a great muscular uh, skeletal uh, frame, but, but you know, had some leg issues that, you know, you wouldn't go to the yearling sale and necessarily look for. And so when his offspring came out, they had a lot of the same traits. Now, as he got, uh, as he got more popular, and got more expensive breeders learned how to breed those things out of mm -hmm. the traits out of his offspring a little bit mm -hmm. and so you didn't really see the slack pasterns and the and the hawks way out behind him as much uh when he when he got to be a, a proven sire mm -hmm. but that's true with yeah you see tendencies and traits um you know with these horses in their offspring and and, you know, that's one of the things I think any farm typically has pretty good success with the offspring of, of the horses they're standing because they get to know what, what to look for. When you have one, for instance, I think Distorted Humor, a great example, who started out and you mentioned maybe some of the physical characteristics that could be a little scary potentially for breeders. As um, a farm that's kind of taken a chance on these stallions, and you have right now several new and, and younger stallions too, what are some of the things that you really focus on at the beginning to make them a little bit more marketable if maybe you don't have people busting down the door right off the start? Well, you know, I think one of the things is you, you do look to try to get horses off to a good start. So you would mm -hmm. look for mares with some, with some speed. You'd look for some mares that had some success in their family with two-year-olds, uh, that kind of thing. Um, you know, with, with um, I've always been one to think about enhancing a, a, a weakness, but not trying to just overcome it with the completely end of the other side of the spectrum. So let's say you have a sprinter um, that just wants to run six furlongs. I wouldn't be so hot to breed a mile and a quarter horse to it to try to, to try to improve the distance capability mm -hmm. to that thing. But I would probably breed a miler or, or mm -hmm. something seven eighths. So you still kind of breed strength to strength, but you try to improve it, improve, improve on it a little bit. And uh, I always kind of, was taught that if you breed one end of the spectrum to the other end, you end up with average. Yes, and, sure. you know, you, you really want to breed strength to strength. And, and so that doesn't mean you want to breed every six furlong sire to every six furlong or five furlong mare. You do want to try to try to work mm -hmm. towards a little bit, but you want to do it in not, uh, an extreme way. For a, a stallion like Distorted Humor, who was born in 1993, that longevity that he's had within the sport too, I think sometimes maybe uh, falls beneath the radar too. How important is that and, and how gratifying is that to see a stallion that can stand for such a long period of time? Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, he stood up until he was 28. Wow. And, you know, 
was fertile and and a lot of that has to do with I think his genetics I mean I remember going to Japan when we bought Yoshida mm -hmm. over there um, four years ago and looking at 49er who was standing in the barn at 35 mm -hmm. and looked like he was 20 yeah. and thinking wow you know and so it's the same thing with uh, with distorted humor I think genetics have a lot to do with it. But also, as far as breeding mares, another thing that has something to do with it is how quick a breeder they are. Sure. Um, you know, Distorted Humor was always very enthusiastic about his job. And he was typically a one jump horse, which means that he covered the mare um, very quickly and, and, uh, and, and then went back to his stall and, 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 you know, there are certain horses that take more time that, that, that it's more of a process. And mm -hmm. I think that had to do his longevity as well. Well, congrats pensioned as well. And from what I understand, he is heading to Florida to, to live out a well-deserved retirement as well. Yeah. He's, uh, he's headed to his, uh, his main owner's farm, John Sykes. It's a good friend of, Ours, Woodford Thoroughbreds, they do so much in the business. And, uh, and Mr. Sykes, uh, you know, was the one who, who started him in, in Ocala um, with Brent Fernung and, uh, and then moved him to Vinery. He was the majority owner at the time. And, uh, and then we got him at Windstar after Vinery closed their doors. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Pike said, I'd like to have him back in retirement. And, and, and we thought it was great because quite honestly, mm -hmm. we've got a few, you know, is now last year, distorted humor this year and in Spitestown more than ready, you know, hopefully a few years away. But you <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, so we've got them. We, we've got all these greats stacking up on themselves. So it was a nice, it was nice that he was going to take him down there. Yeah. And such a great story. Yes. Yeah. He congrats is another one that came from, uh, you know, humble beginnings and uh, proved his way to Kentucky from Florida and, and uh, you know, had turbulent descent in his crop. And actually he's also a pretty good broodmare sire. He is the broodmare sire of she shares the devil. Uh, the filly we bred uh, uh, that won the Oaks last year and is one of the favorites for the distaff. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's uh, just a, from the APND line out of a Phipps family, Mr. Phipps family. And, and uh, he's been a, a really, really good stallion for a number of years. Well, with, as you said, maybe some of the other ones who have stamped themselves as, as some of the true greats like a more than ready. And um, now with these two that we're talking about being pensioned, you do have quite a few newer stallions. And while I have you, I wanted to ask you about a couple of those as well. Um, this past week, of course, up at the basic Tipton sale, got a chance to see some of the audible yearlings be really well received. Uh, it, it's exciting. What are some of the things we can look forward to? Yeah, Audible is one we're really excited about, and uh, you're going to see more of his foals at Keeneland November. Yoshida is another one that's super exciting. Uh, you know, he ran on dirt and turf, uh, and they looked the part as well. I think both those two are going to have a good Keeneland November. People are going to see their foals for the first time. You know, Always Dreaming is getting ready to have two-year-olds. We're excited about him, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's just an exciting time. We've got 
we've got some horses in the barn that are going to end up standing. Life is good. And, and uh, uh, you know, Nashville uh, as well. Um, so it's just a, it's just a really exciting time to, to be, uh, you know, to have these stallions and, 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 and see where we end up with a lot of them. But I think that uh, uh, it's just, like you said, the young horses, when you have horses like, uh, like, distorted humor and congrats that retire um it's nice to see these young guys coming along you know that you you're thinking about the next generation and improbable champion older horse last year got off to a great start global campaign tom Thetas is another horse i love uh, being by smart strike out of candy rides family and he ran till he was seven he kind of has a a little bit of a model of spitestown and his longevity on the racetrack and and so, you know, I thought hopefully that will uh, equate in the uh, breeding shed as well. Very exciting stuff. And obviously meant to say weanlings at this uh, sale this past week. But you mentioned life is good. Of course, we are uh, getting closer to the Breeders' Cup. He's He's been really fun being able to watch him come back. And of course, long-term plans for him. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the model that Windstar does with an example of, of life is good or an improbable who will stand at Windstar after their racing career, but have shown so much talent in your silks on the racetrack. How, how special is that seeing it all really come uh, full circle and being able to have such a good time with them while they're running? Oh, it's great. And uh, Mr. Trout really gets enjoyment out of it. And, you know, we, we, I wouldn't say we started it, but we did, but, you know, kind of were felt like 10 years ago that we were going to try to buy Colts to race, to, to end up in the stadium barn. And that model's kind of taken off over the last five years with these syndicates mm -hmm. that have up and it's hard to do. It's not an easy endeavor, but, you know, you, to, to get a horse like life is good and to justify, you know, we feel really blessed to, to be able to, to race those kind of horses. And, and um, you know, they don't come along very often and, and you know, you, you, you just need to appreciate them uh, when they come because so many times you're always looking for the next great thing. And you, and you, sometimes you miss that you miss out on, on the present. So we're very, cognizant of, of how talented life is good is and and we're excited hopefully he's going to race next year uh barring it back that's the plan and uh we're headed to the breeders cup mile and felt like that that was the right race for him and not to try to throw him in the classic after a one seven furlong race and one mile race and and just want to you know gradually incrementally creep him out and hopefully you can be talking about him at, at Gulfstream <laughs> in the peg as well. So that's what we're looking at. I would love that. It'd be so exciting. And become a fan as well. And, and just the heart that he showed at Saratoga too. And I remember asking you about him when he was working in preparation to come back this year and you kind of lit up and I know you've been around so many great horses <laughs> over the years too but like you said it, it's not an easy thing to do and to find a talented horse and I mean what's kind of that feeling like to still be able to get excited when you have one that you're really pumped up to see race every time or, or whatever his work tab is and one that really makes you start to dream big well I mean the, Acacia there's nothing like it Mm -hmm. And 
you know, those horses are few and far between. And, and I can say that life is good kind of falls into the category of the, the great ones that we've had, like Justify and, and uh, Super Saver was, was one that probably didn't quite have the ability that these horses had, even though his record, you know, he, he won the Kentucky Derby and, and, and won some big races, the Jockey Club. But, you know, these special horses that just, um, you know, even like Bob talking about this horse when he had him, uh, you know, the two horses he, he related him to were American Girl and and so, you know, it's just special to, to have, uh, you know, those kind of horses. And, and it's just neat to, to, to see him run. I look forward to thinking about him running mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, every day. And, and uh, you know, he is, uh, I'll tell you another interesting thing that you could appreciate is Amelia Green, who gets on horses mm -hmm. for top, gets on a lot of them. She mm -hmm. said it's the only she's ridden that's given given her goosebumps wow and that tells you something about him you know yeah. there's specialness about it very very exciting stuff and uh, really looking forward to seeing your breeders cup weekend too um, like i said become a fan and, and being able to follow him on the east coast now this year too and, and see him in person um for you obviously your background working with horses being a trainer and, and now um with the longevity you've had in this role at windstar what would you say is is the most gratifying thing as far as you do a lot of different things at Windstar Farm. Of course, the stallion's a huge piece of it. But what is the most gratifying for you in your experience with the horse racing industry in this role that you have with Windstar? Wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, I still think I'm 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 a, kind of a trainer at heart, and I think the the racing is what my first love with 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 mm -hmm. with thoroughbreds were. Um, I grew up on a farm, but I, I, I always was attracted to the racetrack and the action, the ambiance, the people, the, the, just the energy that you feel when you walk into, say, Saratoga on a big day or, or, or Gulfstream on a big day, Keeneland, um, that energy you feel, that excitement. Um, so I'm always kind of a still have my heart with the, with the racehorses. Uh, it's neat to see the folds and, and it's fun to do that. I tell you what is interesting about the job I'm doing now is just the different things we get to do that. It doesn't get stale that, yeah. you know, in my old days training, you know, going to the barn seven days a week and get a little <laughs> old same back room, you know, same 20 people. And, you know, it can get a little, it can get a little stale. It sure can. Yeah. But, uh, with what we're doing now, we just finished a week of matings, thinking about foals that are going to be born in, in 23 and running the Derby possibly in 2026. And, <laughs> and so we're thinking about that in October and in January, we start folding the ones that fold last that we bred, you know, we bred last year and then the breeding season kicks on and we're trying to sell seasons in those horses. And mm -hmm. then we go to the yearling sale we break them so it's non-stop i will say that <laughs> it, it, it certainly keeps things fresh that's for sure keeps yeah. it going but um elliot such great insight and uh i think there's no ambiance like that of the breeders cup and uh, i'm sure i'll see you in a few weeks at del mar wishing you all the best and thanks again for your time thank you acacia 
And that will do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Thanks so much to my guests today, Michael Dubb and Elliot Walden. Appreciate them taking the time and sharing some great insight as always. Um, Appreciate you for listening and for having some patience with me and the craziness that is life. But uh, hoping to have a lot more exciting content leading up to the Breeders' Cup. And of course, again, all the sales happening um, around this time in November too will be quite busy as uh, my cat Pippin has been my production assistant throughout recording all of this. So apologies if you hear some meows in the background or a little somebody that likes to chew on my laptop. That's been Pippin. He's been trying to be helpful. He likes to lay on top of the keyboard on my laptop, which obviously when you're recording a podcast is not very helpful. So apologies if you hear any of that in the background. He's really going to be fired from his job. He's not very good production assistant as far as recording podcasts at home. But thanks again to everybody for listening today. And it's time now for our Keeneland Roundup presented by our friends at Keeneland. The Keeneland Fall Meet is underway. It's October 8th to 30th. We hope you've been tuning in. And also some big news coming up. The Keeneland November sale begins on Wednesday, November 10th, and it includes a new Horses of Racing Age portion at the conclusion of the sale. This dedicated Horses of Racing Age session will take place on November 19th. So mark that down, Keeneland November beginning on November 10th horses of racing age session on november 19th and of course the fantastic keeneland fall meet underway and goes until october 30th and there's some tremendous racing there we talked a little bit about one of the highlights already in the qe2 with michael dub co-owner of shantasara so make sure you tune in for all of that great action thanks to our friends at keeneland thank you to my guests and thank you to you for listening please feel free to share this and i'm sure we'll uh, meet again as we hope to have some great content coming out over the next couple weeks but for now i'm your host acacia courtney thanks so much for listening to in the ring <laughs>